I am not a werewolf, but I am your host, Scott O'Dell. Welcome to the first ever episode 18 of Spielcast. We're almost at 20. Oh my. We've almost been doing this for half a year. Is this real 18 or fake 18? Shh. This is... This is real 18. This is real 18. Okay, this is real 18. I don't understand the reference. Someone may have skipped an episode when they uploaded it. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe 15's just out there and you just don't know where it is. 15 as an exclusive for our biggest supporters. Exactly. That's um, true. There's a the Spielbound owners? <laughs> no. You would have to donate a particular dollar amount there, to find out. There is actually an episode zero that... There is. Maybe yes. that's episode 15. Yes. No, no. The, you know, the viewers don't know that there's an episode zero. They've no. never. I don't even think Cody knows. I have heard episode zero. Okay. Well, you yeah. weren't here. It was just Scott and I for yeah, episode it was zero, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't bad. The The audio quality was terrible because we were using a you USB were, mic. Sh- yes. I, you were sharing a single mic, and I can only assume that you were you were arm over shoulder like you were in <laughs> yes. a Oh, I totally forgot about this. What yes. did we even talk about? <laughs> I can't even remember. It was a good topic, which is kind it, no, it wasn't a good topic. It was it was a hate filled topic. Oh right, it was what's the worst game? Worst game mechanic? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, man. yeah. You guys just ragged on. I uh, totally. And we specifically games. did that for episode zero because we didn't want our podcast to be known for hate. Yeah, but maybe, maybe that'll be released like around episode one hundred or something. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Well, no, it will be released exactly at episode fifteen. Yeah, there is a lot of hate in our podcast sometimes. Yeah. I think just amongst ourselves, though. I don't hate games. I just kind of hate. Well, you guys I hate sometimes. on games a lot, <laughs> and we do hate on Jeff some. Speaking of hate, let's talk about social media. <laughs> so we had one. We had one tweet this week from Eric. Uh, he one call- tweet that we would like to highlight. I was gonna say there was more than one from Eric. Yeah, there's other. Yeah, tweets. that's true. So on the way home from the podcast, I sent Jeff a text last time, and I said you never actually told us what the app was that you guys use to track your games. Oh yeah, yeah, and I said I'd mention it. Eric reminded us on Twitter. Yeah, he 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 ragged on me, but um, basically I, I mentioned last game last podcast that there was a podcast game tracking app that allows you to do a bunch of cool stuff. So I'm going to promote that now. Uh, it was free when I downloaded it, uh, but it is currently $2.99. It is called BG Stats, and it is available, I believe, on both iPhone and Android. Is it that is correct? only available on iPhone. They are currently doing alpha. That is the what it uh, was. For Android, and I sent them a message saying, I will give you money. Please let me into the beta. Yeah. Um, it's a slick it's, app. I'm jealous. It, it's a really good app. It not only tracks what games you play, it tracks who you play them with, where you play them, what the scores are, how many games you've played over the course of the year. There are two 99 cent DLCs that include um, <laughs> like better stat, like more deep stats mm-hmm. into your board gaming. And there's also a, uh, the other one is um, you can set challenges for yourself. And you can both set challenge. You can like set a 10 by 10 and then, you know, like halfway through the year, like, Ooh, maybe I should do a 10 by five. Or you can set a challenge to where it's locked and you're not allowed to change it. So it just bugs oh, you I all see. year. Um, but yeah, like I can look and I can tell you, for example, that in 2017 I've played uh, 18 games a total of 42 times. I can look at how many I've played each of them. I can look at who I played them with, how often I won, what the average score is, which is one of my favorite things. Because a lot of times when I teach a game, people will ask like, oh, what's a good score in this game? I can whip out the app and say like, well, on average, people who I've played this game with have scored 42 points. So it's got a lot of really slick stats. It's hard to explain them all over a podcast without showing you all, but I'm telling you, I'm looking at it now and I'm, I'm kind seeing of constantly some, I'm surprised. I'm seeing some pie charts. I'm seeing some uh, There's pie charts. Graphs. There's graphs. Good. 
yeah. And oh, and the best part is you can if you are the type of person who does all your board game tracking through BGG, you can continue to do that because this app will sync any play you have with BGG and just mm. send it to Board Game Geek. You know, I just earned a, a Board Game Geek micro badge, Ooh. 100 games, because I actually put all my games uh, right. into my BGG just to find out how hard it was going to be to complete this uh, challenge of play all my games or sell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I am at 136 games, and there's a little badge for uh, having 100 games in your library. Good for you. Yeah. I, I would like to point out uh, very explicitly to our listeners that we uh, did not receive exchange of money or funds or whatever for supporting for telling you about bg stats no we're all really poor we will make it very like like it when we get our first sponsor we will make it very clear that it is a sponsor yeah we've received no money yeah that was like the i don't have bg stats on my phone because it costs three dollars and i've got a couple (laughs) other uh tweets here uh old one that i missed because i don't computer very well uh bryce at bryce journey uh tweeted at me if you like auction mechanics so much uh, I guess I can choose the tone on that one. I choose to deposit. Maybe if you like auction mechanics so much, why don't you marry him? Uh, he says, look up Princes of the Renaissance. Have you have either of you played Princes of the Renaissance? Nope. No. No. I uh, think when we have Bryce on, we should make him play uh, a game, maybe 20 questions or maybe something that shows his knowledge more because yeah. he's going to know more board games than... Now, have you ever talked about to Bryce about being on the podcast? I have not. So you just saying when we have Bryce on the podcast will be his first experience with the idea of us interviewing. Really, him what we're going to do is invite him to come play a game and secretly record everything. <laughs> okay, Bryce, consider this a one-sided phone call where we float the idea of you coming on sometime and being interviewed. <laughs> well, by that's. Us for I mean, that's podcast. <laughs> Bryce, would you like to be on the podcast? Great, great, perfect. Well, Sounds great. Hit us up. We'll let you know about the details. Uh, so the the second part of that tweet is uh, he describes Princes of the Renaissance uh, as three hours of nonstop auction excitement, and that's where I really don't. That know the is tone. is that uh, is that is he? Is I, he I can hear serious? Bryce saying that. Yep, I can hear him saying that. So when I read that tweet, I agree with you. There there could have been like four different tones intermixed yeah. in that one tweet. I'll try to do this is my best Bryce tone of that tweet because I, I can hear him saying it in my head he would say something to the effect of three out can I read it so yeah, I yeah, know the exact right wording uh-huh. <laughs> three hours of nonstop auction excitement so I that's think his that's tone a, when I he's think, it's okay. good it's good so it's good I, it's, honestly, but it's a little I, I sarcastic but he's mainly making fun of I would play raw four times in a row and that's three hours of nonstop auction excitement right. so why not uh, there was another tweet. Yeah, I would say Raw's about the right length at 45 minutes. Uh, a couple other tweets. Um, Josh Duff tweeted out uh, a pretty awesome picture of Innis stacked on top of the box for Mechs versus Minions. Um, and the <laughs> fact that those two games are only $10 apart is shameful. Uh, it, the Innis, which it's is not, a big it's box. It's not shameful. Innis, Innis is, is not. A, Innis's components, some of them are very good, some of them are not great. That's not. A, a knock against Ennis as much as it's just to say that Mex versus Minions is a great value and they don't care about making money. Mm, fair enough. Uh, it's not that they don't care about making money. It's that they were able to subsidize their production yeah. because they're Riot games. Like, compare Ennis to other games of a similar price. And I think part of that, too, is Ennis is just, like, it just came out, and I'm sure the MSRP will drop over time. So, yeah, yeah. let's start 
with what have you been playing? I have several very exciting what have you been playing. Scott and I have quite a few too, so this might be a long segment. Yeah. It's going to be a really long segment. What are we drinking though? I'm drinking... Uh, yeah, what are you drinking, Scott? I'm drinking my Old Faithful. I've already kind of failed on my resolution not to ever drink calories. Um, so instead of brewed coffee, I got a dirty chai because I needed a little bit more of a pick-me-up. So I needed the chai, the caffeine, dojis. and I needed the shots of I espresso. Just, I, I like the idea of a dirty chai. I just like the chai here so much that I don't I don't want to put espresso in it. I don't I, like I'll drink it, but I would way rather just have two separate drinks of a double shot. And I don't I don't know which chai. barista made it, but getting a dirty chai or a regular chai with the whatever it is on top. The latte art. And the well the latte art, but the actual spice on top. I don't mm. know. Yeah. Cinnamon maybe. Yeah, nutmeg. Cinnamon nutmeg, nutmeg yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It just looks it just looks like winter awesomeness. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, You're well, drinking something I, different. Yeah, I've been trying. Well, I already had my strawberries and cream, but I had it with almond milk. But I've been trying to eat a little bit healthier. Now, today didn't work out so well because I made dinner and it was horrible. Because I've been trying to cook more, so I was kind of trying some new stuff, and it just didn't work out today. So I went out to dinner with my mother. But um, right now I'm drinking a sweet pomegranate tea, which is delicious. I'm getting into the tea game. We bought, yeah. we got a tea kettle at work. We have a little kind got of a you. back room that the students can't get into. Got your uh, so we have a, antioxidants on yeah. fleek. It, it, they are on fleek. So I drink a little. I drink a, about a mug, two two cups of tea a day. You you might not know this, Scott, but Jeff and I we both teach, and so we're pretty hip to the jive when it comes we, to we we know we know the terms that the youths are this, using. Uh, this you know, you know the third grade this this uh, sweet pomegranate tea is bay. Oh, it is bay. It is quite bay. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was teaching, uh, I tweeted it out. I was teaching uh, third graders uh, beatboxing patterns this week. One E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. I'm sure their teacher loved that. When after you left, they just started. Yeah. Well, I, so, is there, so, so I, I've actually been, in a total non-board game aside, uh, I've been working on a, a brand new curriculum where I teach uh, general music and I follow the national standards, but I, I teach it through vocal percussion and acapella music. And part of that is that I'm teaching the underlying theory of the rhythms before I teach them how to make the sounds. So they actually, I haven't taught them how to go. Oh, okay. I haven't taught them that. I just taught them how to go. Like I just taught, I haven't taught them how to make the sounds. Third graders. That's impressive. Yeah. And it's starting in kindergarten. So it's K through eight. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's impressive. Anyway, games I've been playing. Oh no. What did I drink? I've been drinking a snake bite. Half of which was a cider. Shilling, I think was the cider. And then the other half was a stout um, that was as middle of the road of a stout as I could imagine, uh, <laughs> but mixed all together into a single glass. It's supposed to look like a black and tan, but this one didn't end up doing that. It was, it was mostly just, just a brown. Yeah. It was delicious. It was a very sweet stout, but yeah, it was nice. Snake bite. Scott, what have you been playing slash what have we been playing? Because you and I have played quite a few games in the past two weeks. Yeah. I think all three of us have a bunch to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, should so we start? Start with, start with a little bit, a little appetizer. Hit us with an appetizer. Ooh, what's an appetizer? Arcane Academy. <laughs> oh, all three of us played that one. I haven't played Arcane Academy. Oh, you haven't. I have. I have questions. Um, oh, you were sick that day. Yeah, he was not feeling well. Um, so we played Arcane Academy at a manager's meeting, and I think 
what my what my mom was supposed to teach me applies here, and I just won't say a lot about it. I was not impressed. Give me the uh, two second rundown. No, oh, why you would want to play this game? Give I me don't. the ten second rundown. What is the game? It is a tableau building, tile management, card management game, kind of. Essentially, what you are doing in the game is you are casting a bunch of spells to gain both wisdom and shards. You then use those wisdom and shards to uh, to build cards, and cards have both special abilities and points on them. And once eight cards are built, whoever has the most points wins. The weird mechanic of the game is that when you activate a spell, you can activate every adjacent spell. So you're all playing. You're all playing. Apprentice magicians. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, which it's like, might okay. is one of my least favorite themes. I ever. haven't seen it done well yet. Seasons. Ugh. Yeah, maybe that's something we could talk about. Yeah, we'll have to put that in. Put that in put our that in pocket. Our, yeah. So you, yeah, pocket. like like Jeff's saying, is you build your your tableau of tiles in front of you, mm-hmm. and then when you use one of those tiles to take an action, you can take the adjacent axis, but they have to be connected. So. It does have the tile placement where you have to be very careful where you're you're placing the tiles and arranging them kind of kind of like any other tile placement game like Isle of Sky or whatever. Um, it also has two main resources. Shards, um, which I've heard about. Shards and brains, which I think are wit. Wisdom. Or wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the game... So you could shard your brains out? Yes. Okay. At the end of the game, I think Mike had 21 <laughs> points and Caleb had three. I can look it up because I, I have had, it on my BG stats. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember hearing the score here. The, the score in this game oh, was, 20, was yeah. 29 Mike, 22 Scott, 9 me, 3 Caleb. That is. So I did pretty that's well. Bad. And like, I was still now, like, Now, uh, I complained. We just played a game a few minutes ago, and I complained that there was no catch-up mechanic, which yeah. is a oh. little bit true in that game. In like, Arcane Academy... There is not only no catch mechanic, <laughs> you are like actively penalized for not being on par uh, with whoever's in first yes. place. Because the, the, the abilities on the cards link so well together that, I mean, Mike was right. taking his turns and they right. were like five minute turns because he would, and then I'm going to activate this card, which allows me to activate this card, which allows me uh, to activate this card. And Caleb was so like... run away mechanic. Right. Yeah, and gotcha. so Ca- Caleb was like, after Mike took his five minute turn, Caleb was like, I guess I'll take a wisdom... <laughs> so so to be clear, I don't mind games that don't have a catch-up mechanic as long as they are very, very skill-based, i.e. like when playing Agricola, if if you just can't catch up to someone because they're playing well, I'm okay with that. Right. Because theoretically at the start of the game, like there wasn't going to be a lot of luck involved in terms of, of were they going to be able to jump mm. together or get synergetic cards or whatever. And yeah, I think we were all jealous of Mike's turns. Um, and I was able to score a bunch of points in the end, and I still was you know, a distant second. Hmm. And at the end of the game, it's like, well, Caleb had three and Mike had 30. So Mike had 10 times as many points. Yeah. That just seems not great. Like if you get beat by 10 times, like if your score gets 10 times by the winner, you should have been actively trying to lose the game. Right. Like <laughs> you should be able to just auto pass your turn and still score like half of the winner's points. Well, I right. think this game is supposed to be a, a relatively frictionless game in terms of like it's not a strategy game. Like it's supposed to be like easy for people to come in and play. It was nominated for Family Game of the Year. Yeah. Okay. Mm. There you go. <laughs> well, there we go. So uh, Jeff, how about you? You've been playing anything else? Well, I, I have, and I'm going to talk about it in a second. Um, but first, I just want to mention a funny little story. I don't really want to talk about this game at length, 
But at the same manager's meeting, um, which I snuck in at the end and played some games with Scott and Caleb, we also played Dragon's Gold. Which is a fun little negotiation game. And the only thing I want to say about it is I got a card that allowed me to steal gems throughout the entire game. And if no one noticed, I could just keep doing it. That's pretty sweet. It was the most fun I've ever had during a game. And the better part was in Dragon's Gold, there's a gem that if you get it, you get a certain number of points. And that's all the points you get for the entire game. And I got that gem really early on. And then like the next turn pulled this card that allowed me to cheat. So not only was I focusing only on what Scott and Caleb were doing, I had no I had no impetus whatsoever to care about what I was doing because I was only going to score a certain number of points. Huh. Interesting. It was just I, I stole maybe six, four to six gems. There was a lot more where I was like about to take it. And then I was like, no, they're going to notice. So I didn't notice that Jeff was cheating. Yeah, he yeah he showed me the card halfway through the game actually, and I was like, sweet. So I'm not fun. sure what that says about Jeff or me. <laughs> it was awesome. I did a lot of counting. I was prote- yeah. I kept pretending to like count uh, the gems. Yeah, they're all just out in a stack of right. cards, right? And so I would yeah. just like count the gems and then take one. So the problem with Dragon's Gold is the components. Where you, no one can tell the difference between the silver and the gold. It's awful. It's um, really bad. And I finally think I've I've decided that we just need to like spray, spray paint. paint a base coat like white, make the silver white, and that's what some mm-hmm. people online have done. Yeah. So that, I think those are our appetizer games. Do we have any? Well, I've got an appetizer game. game. Oh. I've got an appetizer Ooh. game. Uh, I finally, for the first time, played Seven Wonders Duel. What? Ooh. I have played Seven Wonders Duel. Candice and I played it. I enjoyed it. I think it fixes some seven wonders problems uh i i i don't know that i'm the biggest two-player game guy i like it at 30 minutes but you guys talk about playing star wars rebellion and the idea of playing two and a half to three hours of a two-player game just does not seem great to me um but i did like the 30 minutes i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mention but i think that says some more about who you play two-player games with than anything well no I like the people I play two-player games Shout with. Shout out to Candace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so things I liked about Seven Wonders Duel, um, I liked the way they cleaned up science. I think they made science way better. Yep, I agree. Um, they made it so you could jump into science late and not just get totally penalized, but you still you didn't have to commit your whole game to succeeding in science, and I thought that was good. Um and I liked how they changed the resource buying. So when you claimed a resource, you made it more difficult for the other person to actually claim that resource. I thought that made more sense than the other way of buying resources from each other and, and dumping coins and everybody. But no, I, I really like Seven Wonders Duel. I get why there's all the hype. Um, I think it's objectively better than Seven Wonders. You think objectively? Yeah. The, the best part about Seven Wonders is sitting down with seven people yeah, and playing. Yeah, it's the player count. Well, so, there you go. So, so Seven Wonders, you so, either have to two or seven. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so it, it um, is objectively better than the two-player variant of Seven Wonders. Oh, yes, it is so much. Well, Have you had the chance to play with the Pantheon expansion? No, I've only played the one time. Yeah, You should try it with the Pantheon expansion. Mm-hmm. It adds a lot to it. Uh, meat and potatoes, a little bit. Little, meat uh, and potatoes. Who wants to go first with meat and potatoes? I so, will. I'll, I'll dive go, in a second ahead. one. Scott, yes. You and your wife taught me and my wife. Speaking of meat and game, potatoes, a game this year. Yes, because you need that meat. Sheep. You need that meat and potatoes to feed your family, and not take a beggar's card. I don't want to feed my people in Agricola. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I finally played Agricola or Agricola. Uh, no. loved it. I'm saying it's it's okay to call it either one. No, it is not. It is a Latin word. 
There is a way to pronounce we it. We speak things in American. <laughs> That's not a language. <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of a dialect, though. Uh, so, yeah, Agricola, it, it lived up to the hype. Um, I think it was really great. Um, Scott, you sort of set the expectation at just try and score about 10 points. Yes. You might score negative points. Yes. Uh, which made it feel really good when I outscored you. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> Burn. Oh, man, that's Burn. Oh, he's just throwing uh, shade. So so me, me beating you and, and getting for second place um, only made me feel like I probably cheated at some point in the game. Like there was probably a time when I bought something and forgot to actually buy it and pay the resources for it because there's a lot going on in that game. Um, but, you know, it, it made a lot of sense to go back and play that game because I've been playing a lot of newer games. And so to see sort of the foundation of some of these workplace right. me- mechanics uh, was pretty great. Um, yeah, no, I, I really liked it. Uh, would play again. I think the thing I realized about Agricola, I really like Agricola. The mechanic where resources get added to the board and some of those spaces, if those resources aren't taken, build up over time, mm-hmm. uh, really kind of sets it apart. And I know I know Uwe uses that in a lot of his, his games. It's a really good game. And I did set you guys' expectations, though, because we taught you and your wife. And I played that game when people got negative points or they got 10 and they hated it because of that. And that game has not that game does not have a catch-up mechanic. Sometimes you don't know if you're losing, but in that game you can legitimately lose 40 to 4. And it's your fault. And the next game, hopefully, you'll play better. Mm. I am not great at it in a four- or five-player game. In fact, my wife's winning percentage is like 65 70%. Like, she routinely beats the best board gamers I know in that game. That's her game. Unless she's playing two-player, and then she can't beat me. Cause, mm. And that's one of the reasons I like two-player games is just because it's so zero-sum, and you can just pay attention to what your opponent's doing and try to counter it. But I'm glad you liked Agricola. Would you like to hear my thoughts on Agricola? Yes. Absolutely. I don't want to feed my people. They can figure it out for themselves. That's a lie. I think that's a fine mechanic. It's just not a good game. Uh, Agricola is currently (laughs) my lowest rated game on BoardGameGeek. It has a one, which I'll admit is probably not fair. I'll admit that. But it is currently rated lower than my second lowest rated game which is the Apprentice Electronic Board Game. Oh, yes. Which I rated as a two. I really did not have fun playing this game, and I hope I don't play it again, but... That's That's, I enjoyed it. Like So in this particular version of the game, I got a profession. There are profession cards in the game, and uh, my little family all became basket weavers. That's ironic because I think actual basket weaving would be more fun than playing Agricola. I bet basket weaving is actually Don't throw shade at basket weaving. Yeah. I'm not. I'm saying you it would be more you, fun than you playing Agricola. You implied that that is a low bar. Well, Agricola is a game, which by definition is supposed to be fun. It's true. It Agricola is, fun. is an interesting game because in most Euro strategy games, you're trying to set up an engine to score points, right? Yes. And in Agricola, you're doing that, but you have to do that after you set up your engine to feed your people. Yes. Um, Definitively. And I, I will say that you would, you maybe would have enjoyed the play the play session that we had because both both me and Cody and, and his wife Candace, all three of us were playing it thematically where we kind of realized Melissa was just kind of running away with it. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. so I had my wife kill a sheep on turn two to get some food. And she was so upset with it that she no longer was going to kill any animals. And so you became carrot farmers. Yes. And that's all she you became ate. carrot farmers. And we farmed carrots as our food engine. 
And Candace did something similar where she just wasn't going to be able to make babies because she wasn't going to be able to get to the shaman hut or whatever to do it. And, and she just made it. She just made her family great. She played like the grumpy card or something like yes. the grump. And she got a bonus for not having any kids. And so she just never that they never had kids. <laughs> and this this I think Agricola is great because sometimes I'll play with people, either new people or people I haven't played with. And even though I play that game dozens and dozens of times, they'll do something that I've never seen and it works. Like Cody was a basket weaver and there's cards where you can use any other resources to turn them into food, but I just, my echo chamber doesn't do that. Like we all compete over the same stuff and Cody did it and he did well at it. So let's move on from this uh, nine-year-old title. What's uh, your meat and potatoes, Scott? So did we already talk about Star Wars Rebellion on this podcast? I can't remember I if I talked about have, it or not. No. Yeah, because I think we. I, I was going to talk day about before we played Agricola. You told me yeah. about it. I don't, but I don't remember if I talked about it. So this I is when this is when I realized that even though I'm the quote unquote hater of the podcast, I think I like more games and I'm willing to give more everything a chance as opposed to you guys, where you guys have both kind of like I'm not going to play that or I'm not going to play that or I don't like that. Because Star Wars Rebellion is... Oh, yeah, I'm not playing that. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what game have I said that about? And then I, oh, I pick yeah, one, the one game we're talking about. <laughs> I pick one game a year that I categorically choose not to play. I will complain about playing games like the one that we played earlier, which we'll talk about in a second. Yes. But I will play them. So Jeff and I have played Rebellion twice. And I've already tried to get other people to play. Um, and I think Star Wars Rebellion... I thought it was very, very good. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed myself. I was surprised how much, as a casual fan, I enjoyed the theme and the fan servicey moments where they... Like Jean-Luc Picard got like frozen in carbonite. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And then... Um, put him in the bowels of Hogwarts. Yeah, there's a card uh, where you can put Captain Sisko <laughs> on Dagobah and then... If it's Captain Cap- Cisco, if it's Captain Cisco, he gets to become a Jedi. But if it's another character, they don't. But he's no. talking about Luke Skywalker. In case you were curious, and they, those are kind of one-off, like little you, moments. Yeah. Once you do those moments the first time, they're not going to be special the fourth or the fifth time. But right. like, it's a really, really, really good play. And I, I, there's a lot of strategy involved. And I think if you play it with someone who's played it eight times, and you've played it, you know, you're just learning it. Maybe it's not going to be as fun because they're going to stomp you. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeff and I both put our base on Tatooine. No, I put my base on Tatooine on Saturday night and on Sunday morning, Scott chose to put his base on Tatooine, which means he must've thought I made a good move. And we, mm. we both won as the rebels of the same, like you, you were in the game that Jeff put his base on Tatooine. No, no, no. So I played, oh. I, when I played as the rebels, I put it on Tatooine and the next day he played as the rebels and copied me. Literally, you saw him play it when you were the bad guys, and you were like, yeah, I'll do that. Well, part of it, yeah. I mean, part of it, okay. it's not like I was just like, well, that, that's the only way to do it. You you pick where your rebel base is after the board is set up, so you get to see where the Empire has forces, and you get to see how Jeff's, the evil mm-hmm. dark Jeff has allocated his ships and, and stuff like that. And I thought about doing something a little bit cutesy, and in the end... Tactically, based on where her ships were, Tatooine felt like the best one, and I did it. And did it work? Did you win? It did. It worked. He, we both won as the rebels. Oh, gotcha. Um, and so the problems with this game are combat. Combat's not great, and it's it's combat can take a long time. It's like, not even good. Yeah. No. No. What's what's wrong with it? So combat basically, you first you resolve all the space battles. 
You just you, based on the ships you have, you determine what dice you get to roll. You roll the dice. You assign the damage. Then the other person gets to determine whether or not they want to put any cards down for that damage. Like they can block damage if they mm. have a card that says they can block a damage. Then the other person does this. But theoretically, this is happening simultaneously. And, but unless it's a really small battle, the game doesn't give you enough dice to do it simultaneously. So you have to sort of like retroactively do things in order to make it simultaneous. So like, I'm mm. going to kill your ship, but you're about to roll dice. So you still get a black die for this ship, even though I just killed it. Because we technically rolled our dice simultaneously. But we don't uh, have any I see dice. what you're saying. So the component limitations, and, and sometimes there aren't even enough components for you to roll your dice. There's only five red dice and five black dice, and there's some battles that are so big, you've got 12. It seems, seems like a bit of an oversight. Yeah. In a two-player game, it seems like you'd know how many dice and you're And they're obviously, they're, it's Fantasy roll. Flight, so it's custom dice, so yeah. it's not like you can just pull, whip out your trusty mm. D6 to fill in the gaps. It's the biggest oversight in the game, and, and I really hope that the expansion coming out this year takes care of combat. And little small skirmishes comments like all right well i don't love it but it doesn't super detract the game has a decent flow to it and when you have a giant epic battle like there's just no more like you just have to stop for 20 minutes to resolve this battle we resolved it like we literally took our our stuff off of the board and resolved it on the other side of the table for one of Mm. the big battles cool i mean it got so bad late game when i was the Empire, I was like, well, I don't even want to fight a battle, so maybe I won't, you know. Oh, just because you didn't want to have really to go through the rigmarole. it didn't really affect my strategy necessarily, but if, if... That's not great, though. I mean, if you're playing a game like that, you want you want that to be the thing that you're, like, chomping at the bit to do. Like, right. It's not a combat game. Don't though. you want... Yeah, so that's but what, as the Empire, don't you want to, like, encourage the Empire to be a little bloodthirsty? Like, shouldn't the Empire yes. be yes. constantly so, trying yes. to find the battle? blow up the planet. I think that was a mistake okay. that I made when I played the Empire. Is I didn't immediately just go attack. It's death, like playing the Greyjoys in Game of Thrones. You got to just start going after it. Yeah. But to Jeff's point, I'll reiterate: it's not a combat game. It's it actually, and that's the theme fits well. It's a hidden, hidden deduction game where one person's hiding from the other person, and that's kind of the story of Star Wars in terms mm-hmm. of like on a galactic scale. Mm-hmm. Is you know, the Empire is trying to find the hidden rebel base and the rebels are using guerrilla tactics to take out, you know, high value targets. And that's what it is. And it works really well. Trivia time. Where was the first rebel base? Uh, I don't know. It was in Rogue One, wasn't it? Klingon. Mm, yeah. They did have the base in Rogue One. I was thinking from the from episode Is it Yavin? Oh. Yavin. Yeah. yeah. And then they move it to? Te- Hoth. 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 The other thing I'll say I don't super like about the game is to win as the Rebels, which is all I've seen, is a Rebel mm-hmm. victory. It's just like you have to meet the turn counter. You're, you have to push the victory, your victory counter, and you have to just make them touch or cross. And it's really anticlimactic. And thematically, that's supposed to represent, well, you've drummed up enough support and you've done enough hit-and-run tactics that now the universe is going to band together and overthrow the Empire. And oh, like, I while see what that, you're saying. While that makes sense, it's just it feels really anticlimactic where... And to the point where Jeff looked and he knew he couldn't get to my base within two turns and he knew I was going to win in one turn. So it was just like, all right, well, let's not play out the last turn, which I appreciated because it was like, this game's over. Let's right. not. So I've had two of my four games end in forfeit. Yeah. So you guys have been talking about the negatives, though, but you would both recommend it? Oh, oh no, it's great. It's the, great. Yeah, okay. The, do, you've been focusing on the negative, but you've both independently spoken about how much no, you like this and game much as, as much as Scott says, like, when the Rebels win, it's anticlimactic. When the Empire wins, it's freaking awesome. Because <laughs> it ends cool. in either them blowing up the planet that the Rebel base is on, which is awesome, awesome or uh, just a huge 
brawl. And when I say a huge brawl, I mean a huge brawl. That's cool. And I think, well, I did say I really enjoyed it at the beginning. You're right. Like so, it, Sometimes it's easier just to talk about the negatives. Hmm. Jeff's previously talked about all the positives. It's fun to play both sides. I think it's easier for someone systematic to play the Empire and systematically find the base. Whereas as the Rebels, you have to be much more tactical and respond to the situation Flexible, going on. Yeah. I think that's why as a beginner, it's probably easier to play as the Empire because like you can literally just go explore systems and see if you can find the base. Both, cool. both sides are fun. I think as time goes on, both sides will still be fun. Supposedly, it's a very, very balanced game. I don't know if I'm going to play it 20 times, but I'd like to put it on my 10 by 10. Have you made your 10 by 10 yet? So the 10 by 10 is our resolution. We want to play 10 games, 10 games, 10 times. Yeah, and you should listen to last podcast if you haven't, because that's where we discuss it. And Cody whipped out a list, and he's like, here's my 10 games. And I was kind of trying to argue that I thought there was two reasons you shouldn't. You should pick some of them now, but not all of them, because number one, there's going to be good games that come out this year that you're going to want to play. And number two, what I've noticed already with our resolutions is when we're like hey let's play this game then it's like you're you're thinking does that is this on that person's oh game? yeah or is I this the this three of the games the, they want to play or get off their show three of the games i recommended today were on my 10 by 10 um <laughs> but no that's part of the point for you doing jerk. part of the point for doing my 10 by 10 though is i always want to buy the new game and so okay fair having enough. 10 games that i already own on that list keeps me from buying a little bit because I'm like, ah, when am I going to fit that game in? Like, I've already got 100 plays I have to get in. And, you you know, as we get to... Well, let's it, also remember that the goal of the hobby is to have fun. So if oh, you feel absolutely. Like you're, if yeah. you feel like you're struggling to right. get your 10 play in, like, just don't. Why so I need to tweet out my 10, maybe? though. I think we should... Well, however much of your 10 you're going to create, you should we should tweet them out, though, so that people can see. Right. So you, you two last podcast pledged to do a 10 by 10. Mm-hmm. And play all the games on your shelf. Yeah, you didn't actually, <laughs> yeah. Scott. You didn't actually commit to a ten by ten on the podcast. So I was thinking about it on the way here in the shower. Actually, before I came, I think I might switch mine to a ten by eight, um, or just do an eight by eight. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the third thing I was going to say is maybe why you shouldn't put your ten by ten in stone is because other people who are doing a ten by ten challenge, it might be nice to sync up some of your games with them because mm. you're going to be playing lots of games with that person anyway. And then, Truth. i.e., maybe we should get three other people and do Game of Thrones six times oh where we each play one of the houses or whatever. That does I say sound okay. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, I, I had a couple of bad games of Game of Thrones, but um, I think it was mostly due to it being too heavy of a game for the people yes. I was playing with. That The problem with that game I had was I just kept – every time there was always one or two new people playing, and mm. that's just like, well, like that game deserves – to be treated like a campaign where you get the same people together to play it. The other pro- that the yeah, that game has the problem of you teach people what to do and then they're like, "Okay, it is time for the assignment phase." And they yes. look at you and go, "What do I do?" Yeah. And you're like, "I just spent 20 <laughs> minutes telling you what you're supposed to do." Yeah, I remember. And then you remember the glazed overlook they had in their eyes when you were yeah. describing exactly how how resources are and yeah. you know, what you're going to need this power later when you start bidding for stuff. So I think that was both Scott and my heavy hitter was Star Wars Rebellion. Let's talk mm-hmm. very quickly about the game that we just played. I think so, yeah. Which I've, I was my first time ever playing it. And I, it's been, I've had it for a while. I bought it off a recommendation. Had never seen anything about it, but just a guy I trusted was like, it's a good game. And so I was looking for something fun to play. It is on my 10 by 10 um, oh really? It, oh really? See, because my that's it makes me mad because my board gaming goal is to ensure that you do not complete your ten by ten. 
That's I, upsetting. I've played this game with you twice. I think we should probably uh, stop with the foreplay and tell them what it is. This is Lewis and Clark, The Expedition. Yes. Just as a quick rundown of Lewis and Clark, The Expedition, it is a worker placement game. It is a slightly more advanced worker placement game where you are uh, racing. The score track is actually a race up the Lewis and Clark trail to get to Fort Klotzop at the uh, up in Oregon and actually find the specific Pacific Ocean uh, and win the game. You have to make your camp there. So a couple of interesting things about it. You have a hand management mechanic where uh, whenever you play a card, you have to also um, use one of your other cards to just fuel that card. So in any given round, you're only going to use half of your cards. The other half are going to be powering those cards you chose to use. Um, there's a lot about efficiency of your of your cards. Uh, to get your cards back, you have to set up camp, and if you have too many resources in your camp, or if you have too many helpers, uh, it costs you movement along efficiency that race. Efficiency is the whole game. It's a massively efficient base game. Yeah, few things that would definitely that definitely come up when you talk about Lewis and Clark would be one the sensitivity to Native Americans. Like how is how is that in the game? And I think this game really sort of is bipolar in that aspect. Um, <laughs> there are some really great things and some things where you're like, you didn't really think that through. Yeah. Um, so as full disclosure, for uh, five and a half years now, I have every week driven up to the Winnebago Indian Reservation and taught music up there. Uh, so I feel close to the cause of Native Americans in America and I suppose abroad. Uh, I don't know, right? Native <laughs> Americans in America. Um, and I really, I am not offended by the game. There is some blatant, I want to say blindness to some stereotypes. They all just, the meeples for the Indians are red and have a feather. And have a, yeah. That's the two, and, but there's, so there's that, and that's Uh problematic. Yeah, and I think for, for a lot of people, they just see that and they go, racist game, I'm not playing this game. Like, if, if that's going to be a thing that, that's going to be, because it's visual, Immediately, if you're going to have an issue with that subject matter, that's well, Cody. You always talk when you're telling people like this game. You always say, "Well, every character in the game is a real character, yes. and there's a bio, and usually the bios, you know, are pretty. You know, they're not long, but they're usually clever and and they're detailed. I, yes. I mean, you know, this this particular character met Lewis and Clark in 1804, and they argued about trading. You know, right. whatever it happened to be, and a lot of these characters are American Indian tribes. Yeah, and so, they they. You know they treat them pretty well, but then when you open up the box and the meeples are have a feather and they're yeah. red, then it's like okay, well that was so. So the hard other to get past that. the other thing then that I think it handles really well, and it, I I think is just an interesting mechanic for a worker placement game. Then is when you use uh, when you use an action that requires an Indian worker, they do that action one time for you. And then they go home. You don't keep that character. You trade. Right. You 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 send your interpreter in, and they convince them to come help you. And they help you one time, and then they're gone again. And I like that idea that these pe- particular individuals come out and they're like, oh yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll show you how to make yeah, a canoe. Yeah, you don't. You don't right, keep no, them for the whole voyage. See you later. I got, you know, I got a whole way of life back there. So I'm gonna go back to that now. Have fun on your trip. Uh, so I like that about the game. I think it fits thematically, and I think it's interesting that it's, it makes it another resource that you're trying to manage that's not a love hut. Which Jeff, what did you think of the game? 
I mean, I, I again, I you guys remember I was kind of the first person to point out like, hey, these meeples are red. That's mm-hmm. not that's not great. Um, so that was that was hard to get over. But really, thematically, the game is not. It, I don't think the game has much theme, right? Like it could easily be a just a series of numbers and actions on a card. Um, so the theme is not strong in this game, which, as you guys know, is a, is a big tick down for me. I just entirely disagree with that statement, but okay. I disagree, too. <laughs> now, now you were pointing out some stupid things within the theme with, like, you crafted a canoe, and you put that canoe in your boat, and then you use that canoe one time, and then it disappeared. Yeah, like, your, your, some your canoe go, it takes you up the river four spaces and then disintegrates, apparently. Yeah. Well, it wasn't um, a good canoe. You're not good at making canoes. No, I wasn't. The, the Native Americans made the canoes. That's the worker maybe, placement. Maybe they sabotaged you. Maybe you were a little rude. Yeah, if they would have <laughs> changed, changed the canoe resource to fuel, it would have been thematically more appropriate. Yeah, I That's don't know what the fuel would have been. But anyway, I didn't think it, the, the theme was strong. Um, I felt like the game could lead. It didn't really in our game, except for maybe a couple of Scott's turns. But I feel like the game could lead to analysis paralysis. I've seen it happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If my wife or Caleb had the amount of cards I had. They would have taken yeah. their turns would have been a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because every every action you take requires two cards, and one of those cards you're not going to get to do the action. Mm-hmm. Unless, I mean, sorry, every card action you take. There's card actions, and then there's yes. worker actions. Yeah, every card action you take requires two cards, and you have to make a decision because the better cards are better both in the way that you can use them and in the way that you don't use them because they power other cards. Yeah, so there could lead to some serious analysis paralysis. But you're also describing that there are hard sh- hard decisions yes, in the and game. There are good, and I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I'm not trying to. Sorry, I wasn't there trying to be me- like. There are meaningful choices. That's a good yeah. way to say. It, yeah, I, I wasn't trying to. I'm, I was about to get to the things that I like about the game, mm. which is that I actually really think that the mechanic of using a card to power another card and using a more powerful card to make the other card more powerful is actually mm. a really good mechanic and a really clever one because you have to sacrifice two cards. Um, so that, that I think that is a meaningful choice. I think the game kind of forces you down into whole, like forces you to make decisions. Like I don't know that I had more than like three for the entire game, but I was a Buffalo master. I had so many Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it kind of forces you to pick a strategy. I know Scott was going after wood. It seemed like mm-hmm. Cody was going after horses mostly. Yeah. And I saw the horse strategy at the end. So the game kind of forces you into different strategies. My other negative thing would be it kind of feels like multiplayer solitaire. Like there's really not any player interaction with the exception of some random rules about movement. Well, and and each time you claim a resource, you have to look at the tableau in front of the other player. So there's a little bit of that. But at at what point are you even actually trying to mitigate against that? Like at a certain point, you're just like maybe the first three turns I'm thinking about a little bit. But after that, I'm just like, well, what's out there? Well, the last two Mm, times I've gone after Woods... And that was just a tactical decision at the time. I was like, well, there's a lot of wood icons that my mm. partners have put on their tableau or my people next to me, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I would I rate the game I would I better than an average. Like, I would play it again probably, but I'd put it on a 10 by 10. And see, it's, it's up there. I really like the game. Now, I, I think part of the reason I like the game is that um, I like worker placement, but I feel like I want a little bit more of a challenge in a worker placement game. I want there to be a little bit more... You know, like Stone Age is excellent. I've played Stone Age a ton. I just want something a little more complicated. See, maybe that's where you and I differ. I'm not a big fan of worker placement. I think it's one of the pure forms of 
of passive aggressive interaction on a uh, in a game where <laughs> where we're going to have conflict but it's not going to be me attacking you it's going to be me occupying a space and so i'm not attacking you i'm technically taking a space i'm doing something for me it just really sucks for you that i did it so okay. you can now compare that to agricola where it's not even passive aggressive in agricola like you're taking the good spaces from other people and, and i feel like agricola is so hard though that you you can't just play out of spite. If you only play out of spite, you just starve. No, not out of spite, but you can't I, feel like an, I feel like in Agricola, it, way more often people are taking spaces that I would have wanted. Whereas in Lewis and Clark, there I, was so, there was that, so that's what I was about to mention. Is it doesn't seem like the actual places that you put workers in Lewis and Clark are that good. They're much less efficient right. than the cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't feel like worker placement in that in that mm-hmm. in this game is being used as an aggressive tactic. Well, mm-hmm. because if I take a place that you wanted to be, you could just play a card and do pretty much the same thing. Correct. Yeah. And I That's think true. that kind of goes with the theme of what Cody was saying is you can use American Indian tribe members to go out and do that and thematically they're doing something for you, but ultimately you're not getting a super great action. Now, the other problem with the theme is that Lewis and Clark cooperated to get to the yes. Pacific Ocean, uh-huh. and we are competing. Yes. Competing bands of explorers. I yes. can't get, I can't racing. Get, I can't get past that part, because I've played this game now, I think, four or five times, and I've mm. played it years apart, and I just, like, every time someone's like, you want to play this game? In my mind, I'm like, it's got to be a cooperative game. Like, so like, what, I am so excited. why do they call it Lewis and Clark? Why don't they call it, like, um, first American explorer, well, first American, yeah. but like American explorers or something. Yeah. They could have called it Oregon Trail. Could have been Oregon Trail. Oregon Port Trail, Port. or just call it like, or like in the little or theme the statement. Lewis and Clark Trail. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, so this isn't my ten by ten, and one of the things that I I've decided any game on my ten by ten that has a solo variant, I'm going to play as a solo and this has a solo variant where it's got some challenges set up on it and you set more stuff on the board that that make it harder and it puts a time i think it puts a timer on on how many turns you have to actually get there or something so someone should ask me if i liked it scott did you like like this game i did not like it i thought the mechanics were fine um real quick i'll say some things i don't like about it what jeff said about he felt like it was multiplayer solitaire Mm. i hadn't realized that was what i was feeling but yeah like in my worker placement game, I like there to be a lot of interaction. And since this is more of a card hand management game, it does feel mm-hmm. like solitaire. And and so in our game, none of us used the power where you can actually use somebody else's face up. This card. is true. And that would have been more useful if, you know, like if you get blocked out or you have, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I feel like in a bigger player count game, that would be more used more. It also would have been used more if I had been paying attention to what right. you guys were doing. Like mm-hmm. I, right immediately yeah. after my turn, I was right. thinking, what's my yeah, next turn? Like, what's mm-hmm. my yeah, you were ready to go everywhere. Yeah, we, yeah, you and I are both playing pretty I've fast getting, this game. I've been getting faster with the way I play games. Maybe it's just because I've been playing with you, Scott, but I've been getting or, a lot faster. Yeah. You're you're routinely telling me to go. Um, so you so the other d- thing I don't like, like it. Well, so the other thing I didn't like, and I think this is kind of speaks to what Jeff's saying about Agricola, is um, it's kind of a restrictive game, and by that I mean it doesn't seem like you have a lot of choices. And it's kind of a hard game. Like Trying to get through the two mountain areas is, is mm-hmm. hard. Um, I think ultimately it's just not fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I know coming from me, yeah, yeah. like it's hard in a not fun way. And I know that's a lot of people's problem with Agricola, but I've played it enough now where I think I, I'm just not any better at the game. And it's just mm. like, well, I'm going to look at the cards and try to get through the mountains. And that's another thing I don't like about the game is 
you're you're going along this track which is mostly river and then you get to a big mountain section and then it's river and then it's little mountains and then it's river again mm-hmm. and i think one like i don't like that it's the same every time there and you they have modifiers in the box you can actually change the route. that was yeah. that was gonna be a suggestion mm-hmm. i have is like just play not a random map, but like different maps where those mountains, different yeah. areas and stuff like that the, could be. The tokens that come with a solo variant also double for you to modify the trail so that you can you can have yeah. mountains earlier and different so, water. And Cody, then, now you know how I feel a lot on this podcast, which is you're defending a game that the other two hosts yeah. are like trashing. No, I really do like <laughs> it. I, I like the game a lot. So you, you two are welcome to not enjoy it. You have your own opinions. Well, the final thing I'll say about that I don't like is for the – <laughs> for how hard the game is or how your strategy it is i feel like it takes too long like if it were hmm. a much quicker game i could you know i could see playing it more um and i know that now, game would have been quicker if i had just gone quicker would you be willing to play the dice game that they came out with they came out with a similarly arted dice game it looks like it's uh, an expansion or something uh i think it's just lewis and clark the dice game it's not roll and move is it no, it's totally different. It's totally yeah. It's just a roll. It's it's just the score track, and then you just take turns rolling the dice, and then you just move up the track that number. I got a six. Uh, yeah, I've heard it's good, uh, but I have never played it. Roll, roll f- through the galaxy. Or roll for the galaxy. That was the one. That was one of the games where I had your guys' reaction. We're like, nope, I'm not playing that game. As someone who played mm. a bunch of races of the galaxy and liked it, which is like, I don't need to play a dice version of this. Like, nope. Mm. I played it once and I was like, never again. Yeah, we've got it in the library here. It looks pretty much like the Lewis and Clark box, except it's got like a pink shade to it instead of a kind of a teal. I, I will defend Jeff and uh, not Jeff. I will disagree with Jeff about the, the theme part of Lewis and Clark. Just kidding. I would never defend Jeff. I thought the mechanics worked, worked well for the theme of Lewis and Clark. I thought that ultimately the whole package just wasn't there. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't fun and it wasn't. And I think it is fun. I like I like that every time I play it, uh, it's based a little bit about what cards are available to me early in the game, and I can I, I can only wait so long before I got to commit to just getting a couple of cards, and those cards generally affect how that game's going to feel. Every time I play it, I feel like I have to kind of craft a tactical strategy based on what cards are showing up, and I'm constantly pushing my luck to see how long can I wait before I just say, okay, that card's good enough, I'm taking it. Um, and and I like that about the game. It makes it feel a little bit different uh, and a little tactical in an otherwise samey game. It just yeah. I guess at the end of the day, you're just doing the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. And not only are you doing the same thing, but you're just going around. You know, like you're just going around the same little racetrack, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like the NASCAR of board games. So yeah, I'm not gonna say it's a terrible game. I just don't. I just don't find it fun. Well, we've we've sha- we've saved a tiny amount of time for a topic of the show, but I think talking about this game leads us right into it. Yeah, we talked a lot about theme in the topic yeah. of the show, or in the in the game, and that's good because our topic of the show is about theme. And before we get to the topic of the show, can I just say for all of the talk about w- whether ten by tens are good or bad or how you do them. We clearly have played a ton of games in the last two weeks, and it might just be uh, coincidental that we all set these challenges and then we played a whole bunch of games. Uh, but I feel like it's probably, those two things are probably a little more related than just coincidence. Yeah, to a degree. Um, so yeah, our, our topic of the show today is about theme and we're going to talk about two specific questions that I'm really interested to hear y'all's opinion on. Um, because Scott and I were actually fighting about this earlier and then we said that should be a topic of the show. Stop talking Mm -hmm. about it. So, um, our topic of the show today, what is the most overused theme 
and what is the most underused theme? And we added the caveat that underused does not mean little used, yeah. right? There, there are very few games about wallet making, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, that's um, the right amount of use for that yes. theme. Uh, or is it? I don't know. I don't want to so just jump on the leather workers of America. Means what, what theme would make a good game, and we just don't see that many games about it? Yeah, can we start with the overused Let's, one? I feel that's like that's e- way that's a, easier conversation. And it's also a longer conversation because there's a lot. Yeah. So, what, it, Cody, you can begin. What's oh, the most I'm overused going, theme? As I've sat here for 10 minutes and listened to you guys talk about how bad Lewis and Clark is, I will say my least favorite theme is Cthulhu. That gets used so much. I'm over it. We get it. Everybody feels ominous. And, you know, we're all in significant flecks of worthlessness and Cthulhu is going to crush us off the planet. And I get it. Horror monsters. But I'm a detective. Uh, I'm so tired um, of that. Usually theme. the term it's the term investigator. I'm an investigator. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't. I, I was going to say I don't think there's anyone who disagrees with that, but that's probably not true. There's probably people who love Cthulhu. I like Cthulhu themed games a lot. Why? Because they're they first okay so little bit of background the reason why Cthulhu is overused and I will admit Cthulhu is overused Cthulhu <laughs> is used in some really bad games if you've never played Unspeakable Words you're a very lucky person um, but I c- own that game it's so bad wow you own Unspeakable Words I'm thanks I'm, Will Wheaton I'm willing to give it away yes Letter Tycoon is way better than Unspeakable Words but I didn't mean to interrupt you Jeff. Um, so the reason why Cthulhu is uh, so heavily used is that it was like the first mythos that was ever publicly that was ever public domain so game companies actually don't have to own the rights to cthulhu because Mm -hmm. um hp lovecraft never sold his rights to a company so like with mickey mouse the walt disney corporation owns mickey mouse and so mickey mouse will probably never be public domain unless the company goes out of business because the rules of of uh public domain are like 80 years after the death of the author or something like that and so, um, but if the com- but if somebody owns it, they but if the company owns it, then yeah, the, yeah. if the company yeah. never dies, corporations so, don't die. Yeah, so you don't actually have to buy the rights. You could, you listener at home, could design a Cthulhu themed game and sell it to the market and using all of the art, like well, not the artwork, you have to pay the artist, but all of the imagery yeah. and all of the words, Names, yeah. same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the, really the first like complete mythos that was ever publicly available. It was also the first mythos that really came came up with the idea that. Um, like the things you see, the horrors that you see mm-hmm. provide you with some sort of mental damage. Like it takes a toll on you mentally to see all these monsters yeah, and things like closely, that. You're going insane. Yeah. So that's the reason why it's so heavily used. So, But the problem with that then is that any hack can just get access to the IP and there's mm-hmm. enough people that love the IP that they'll forgive a bad game because it ha- and, and that only encourages bad games to get made more because it and, does like and the weird thing about it is, is I don't know that I've ever actually met anyone who's read any HP Lovecraft I tried to read it I I, I, I tried to read it's not good is it it was okay it was I don't know the, the particular like the Cthulhu story I don't even know the name of it I think it's called Call of Cthulhu Call of Cthulhu yeah um, it's just available online. Like you just Google it, and then you can just read it online. And it, I, I mean, it was okay. It was just sort of slow and ominous. But I feel like that was kind of the point. Like right. I, I, I felt like it was okay. I mean, it's okay writing. Yeah, yeah. Scott, how do you feel about Cthulhu? Scott? Oh God, I hate Cthulhu. <laughs> like so. Much. The monster or the theme? Are you at the point <laughs> where you refuse to play Cthulhu themed games? No, I'm not at that point. I really enjoyed Pandemic Cthulhu. I was a little bit like. Did they really have to do the thing where you lose sanity? Like, I get it. Like, but did they, like, if they didn't do that, it wasn't required for that. 
Mm. Um, but it but, made it a really like that was a really cool. I liked the fact see, that your character could go insane and you didn't become worthless. You just became different. I think I think for me, not liking Cthulhu has to do with the fact that the first couple of games I encounter with that theme, I just didn't like those games, mm-hmm. i.e. Arkham Horror and mm. stuff where you just move on a grid-based board and you take move and then you take one action and then you have hearts and you have sanity counters. Like, I don't need that ever again. And I think Cthulhu as a theme, like, if they did a really good Euro game or if they did... You know, like a funny like diner game where you know people go to drink blood after a hard day of scaring people crazy, like something like that. Like I could get behind or whatever. But but the other thing I don't like it's about like the, don't be giving your away ideas the, away yeah, for free, that's man. Brilliant. Fantasy Flight Games is listening. Yeah. Like there's our next money maker yeah, right there. It's just uh, so it's a soda shop. It's like a '50s old timey soda <laughs> shop, but it's just Cthul- the monsters. Cthulhu's working the soda machine, yeah. like pulling, pulling with his tentacles. The coke yeah. dispenser. It's every man's yog. Sawroth. Sothoth. Yeah. Yeah. He's maybe just I'll, a regular Joe. The other thing I really <laughs> don't like about Cthulhu themed games is does the artwork always have to be so dark? Yeah, you're being chased by monsters. I get it, but does does the lights always have to be off? Like yeah. I don't know. Like that's one thing in video games where certain genres in video games just have a certain set of colors and a certain lighting and it like at the end of the day, it's like, do I really want to play another game with just blacks and grays? That's fair. Now, I do. So you asked, do people actually read this stuff? And I think we're, we've been speaking in the scope of board games only. But I used to work with a, a brilliant guitarist. I mean, just genius. He's he's touring globally right now. He used to live in Omaha. And, um, Is it Mick Jagger? It's not Mick Jagger. But he he was always having, he always had side projects, and he was like, no, oh, this this trio does this. And he's a very very talented jazz musician. Uh, but he grew up, it was like first music as a kid was metal and uh, like not Metallica metal, but like real metal. Um, and not to say Metallica is not metal, but they're kind of like metal ish. <laughs> they're metallic. Uh, they're metallic. Yes. Um, on the outside, but, but like occasionally, like there was a time that I may have accidentally subjected him on a car ride to some like pretty square barbershop quartet music, which is one of the genres of music that I enjoy. Um, and so as payback, he's like, fine. I, as a kindness, don't play this stuff. But if you're going to play that crap, I'm going to play this. And he put on like the metal he listens to. And it's just like Scandinavian death sound metal. And it was just like this horrifying wall of like blood curdling sounds. So that's, so he's a brilliant jazz musician that likes, like grew up with that. Like he was like formatively right. informed by that stuff. Um, and he m- made a project where it was like, a full album of improvisational jazz, a, a trio, all based on Cthulhu. It was a Cthulhu Whoa. metal jazz improvisational album. So I don't have the actual specific. That but, is a that's but, a genre in and of itself. <laughs> I can only assume that that is streaming somewhere for purchase, and I will attempt to look it up and then tweet out. When- uh, that particular for those of you out there just, that like Cthulhu and are looking for something totally just weird. another improvisational metal jazz Cthulhu album that's I mean, what I'm saying there's right? so many of those there's out there. somebody out there that's like oh my god that sounds amazing <laughs> no there isn't there is there were there were anyway they're probably so, not listening to this so they're, pro- <laughs> <laughs> they're probably trying to find and maybe if they, they know were, that if person. they were they already turned it off when we just all ragged on Cthulhu uh <laughs> So, Scott, give us another overused theme. Uh, Mage's Apprentice. 
a mage's apprentice. You think that's it, overused? Oh, is it overused? I, don't, I haven't seen it used well, but I don't that's, know that it's yeah, overused. I've played, okay, mage slash alchemist. Yeah. Wizardy. Well, you, like wizards casting spells at each other. In training. Yes. Like there's so many recent card games and... Abraka what? Alchemy games and explosion. Big Book of Madness. And Arcane, Arcane Academy, Academy and mm-hmm. Potion Explosion and the Alchemy. Like all those games. No. Yeah. <laughs> in no. my in my mind. Oh, sorry. Are we going to talk at length about this one? You can. I just. My, I, my I, opinion I agree. Is no. Like that's. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's overused. I would still. I don't think it's so overused that there's not room for a good one, though. Yeah, uh, and I, I feel like Alchemists is a pretty good game. And I think it's cutting edge in the whole app usage that it does. Um, Alchemist is a terrible game. You think Alchemist is a terrible Whoa. game? Take the app away, and that game is not even against nothing. Like, take the whole, like, let's well, use the app for coolness. That's like, not, okay, like, if I go to a restaurant and order a burger, if you take the patty away, then, yeah, the burger's probably going to suck. Like, you can't pat- just say take away the, the biggest part of the, not the game. The patty's not the app, though. I, like, can't, I can when we're talking about board games. The worker placement game should be the meat of that game. The, the app should be a supplemental. Yeah, and it's still a good game. Like, if you have a facilitator there, it's going to suck for that facilitator. But the game was built around the ability to use this app. Hmm. I'm sorry. I'm going to be an old man about this. This is not Scott, Jeff, and Cody's podcast about Apple apps or whatever. This is <laughs> We're talking about board games. It's not a board game. It's no. Uh, we're gonna have to have a whole con- yeah, we're gonna have to have a whole we'll show about apps. Dang one. it. Anyway, okay, give us a, give us another another overused uh, my theme. overused theme because I don't think it should have ever been a theme in the first place, because board games in my mind are supposed to be fun and thus you should be emulating things that are fun, like fighting monsters and dungeon crawling and stuff like that. I think farming <laughs> is overused farming is even overused. if you enjoy farming as a as a theme. Like, it's still overused. There's too many damn farming, I think, farming games. I think maybe we could avoid the farming. I think, like, the one that sits right next to that is, like, Mediterranean trading. Yes, trading in the Mediterranean is horrible as well. And, and I, or the Middle East. Yeah, and I feel like this is a problem. I, th- I think we're just, like, we're just down the tree from whatever was happening in Germany mm-hmm. when we were all over here in America playing Aggravation and Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Like... Like, I feel like games got popular and demand required more of those same games. And like, we're just living like we're just living in a world where that's we're we're just the remnants of that, like board game industry. Uh, So that's why I think there are so many farming and trading games. uh, I would say farming is overused. Generally speaking, though, I like the theme. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I'm the same way. I actually enjoy it. But I think um, we can probably reach outside. You all feel about farming how I feel about Cthulhu. Well, I mean, so I will. Yeah, s- probably. Yeah, I would play it, uh, but I don't need it to exist in any new games. And I like when it is in a game. I will say that one of our listeners, Corey, is an actual farmer, literal farmer, and wants to make a farming game. And so um, CJ and him had an idea about this farming game. And then I was kind of banding about a farming game that I thought would be really fun. And part of my hesitation was like going forward and prototyping it because I kind of did it. It was just like this. This is the theme is intricate to the gameplay. I can't really reskin the gameplay. And since farming is just such a non starter with people who are more like Jeff, like it's kind of like, well, should I even make that game if the marketplace doesn't, isn't going to want the theme? So that's definitely a consideration. So I've got a, a, a similar, I don't think it's as specific as to say this theme in games, but I do have to say if we could just 
if we could just not and this is board games specifically in this context but i've been feeling this about other forms of entertainment if we could just stop like murdering people and exploiting entire societies <laughs> within the context of our entertainment like can we like I agree. like 100%. do we have to just shoot everything like there's so much room for creativity like like and like lanterns that's a gorgeous game that you don't murder anybody in it like can we just like for me i'm getting more and more tired of violence i watched some uh keanu reeves movie while i was sick last week john oh i watched a couple keanu reeves movies uh one was violent in how bad it was uh this particular one was just like so violent and that was the entertaining thing with john wick and i'd never seen john wick before and i was like why is it like, more about the hospital I don't know. It was about Keanu Reeves shooting people in the head at point blank range over and over yeah, again. It's a different game or a different movie. So, so for me, the idea of like shooting and killing and, and war, like for me, I could go without it. I don't think it needs to exist. And I feel like there's enough reason for it not to exist that it's overused. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I've actually had this conversation with people where I say, I say, like, I don't know that we should be murdering people in board games. And I play board games that where people are murdered. I'm not trying to say I'm innocent here. And they're like, no, no. And I'm like, are there things you wouldn't do in a board game? Yeah, there are themes I wouldn't do in a board game. Well, then why, why is murdering not on that? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's one of those weird things where it's just so prevalent in our society, I think, that it's hard. I don't hard. think there's... A lot of murdering in board games, is there? Well, it's usually not people. There's it's usually war, monsters. Yeah, there's war games, and that's like not really murdering. And in then Colt you're, Express, you're shooting people all over the place. Yeah, but that's Wild West. Right, but that's what like we've we've yeah. built these like societal not, icons based around and, killing, and, and you're so, not murdering them. And so we are talking about the idea of catharsis. And in it, Werewolf, you literally lynch people. <laughs> yeah, that, you, this you, is true. So, but, but so so. W- and I don't think it needs to entirely be gone because the, the because of this idea of catharsis. It's good for the human mind to see horrible things happening and feel that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like our physiology physiology needs that, and that's why this stuff. Like that's why tragedies exist. That's why we find it interesting to watch horrible things happen to a right. person, right? But I think we've gone a little overboard, and maybe we could dial it back and feel bad for other things because. As you know, as someone who owns a video game store, video games have a lot of human on human violence and a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of murder and a lot of things that are just not as palatable. And board games generally do better in terms of violence. Board games mm-hmm. are still really bad in terms of generalizing and racial stereotypes and you know, portraying women as either like there's only one woman character and eight different characters yeah. or they're and over-sexualized. Her, and her armor is a bra, yeah. but it's made out of iron, right. so she's fine. It's iron but, bra. But generally board games, there's not there's not a lot of like morally questionable choices you're making um, unless you're playing like a role-playing game and you're like, you specifically have that have choice. chosen to do that. Kind of yeah. like, you know, there's, there's video game role-playing games where you can either be good or bad or somewhere in the middle. I think board games is generally healthier, and I agree that, like, you know, like Sushi Go, like, that's a cute little game about having the best meal. Like, I think board games has done a lot better, and I think that's why it's it's so popular, or it's getting to be so popular in the mainstream of just, like, this is what we're going to do. And and I think mm. it's more healthy than a lot of other You're probably yeah, right. entertainment uh, uh, industries. Uh, yeah, and I'm probably, I probably have a hard time actually finding instances of, 
gratuitous violence in right. board games if I really thought about it that was was actually human on human gratuitous right. violence because we've been playing Seafall and in a lot of and in a lot of the encounters in Seafall your choice is you know help the natives or, or kill ex- the natives or exploit the, or natives. Exploit yeah, the yeah. natives or mm-hmm. help this group of people or not and those it can be a little desensitizing to just flippantly be like no or I'm going to kill them or I'm yeah. going to steal well, them well and so there, there's this weird there's this weird dynamic there because it gives you the choice like you can either trade with the natives or just steal from them and I understand, like, thematically why they would make the choice to put that in the game because that's actually what, like, Captain's Logs <laughs> yeah, looked what, like. Like, mm-hmm. we saw natives today and decided that we were going to kill all them. If you ever read, like, Christopher Columbus's right. writings, mm-hmm. like, he literally says that. But when it's in a game and you, like, attach some sort of value to that, like, some sort of game success value to that choice where you, like, help the natives and it ends up not being good for you or you mm-hmm. kill the natives and it ends up being good for you, like... Then you're cheering because you did something good, but you hurt. You know, it's just it's weird. And there have been times I will say, and I don't think this is a spoiler in Seafall, where one of us would have has made a choice to do something bad to the local tribe, and then it totally the game totally punished you for that. Yes. Like right. like yeah. they just rise up and murder your crew and send you off on a raft. Like yeah, like that. It's not entirely one sided in that game, yeah, but. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, um, how about the? Under, do we want to go to the other well, side? Well, before we go, wait, to, wait, wait, before we we, one last there's over. one more over that if like we don't mention like there's so gonna be a riot. Let's say outside. on the count of three. Ready? One, one two, two, three. three. Zombies. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't think there's recap. any way you couldn't do trains. <laughs> let's recap. Cody Cody looked like he was, was really confused. So confused. I was like, I don't know what you guys <laughs> And had no about. idea what Scott and I were gonna say. Scott, I believe, said trains. Trains. And is... I said zombies, which is consistently voted the most overused. And then you both looked at each other like you were idiots. <laughs> like, why would you uh, so I'm like trains. Oh yeah, they're like We don't need to talk about trains, trains for a, a long time. Um, I will just say that and, and trains have gotten a little better just because people knew it was overused in the 90s and the 80s. But for a long time, hobby board games were trains in the U.S. Yeah. for decades and decades. And then with the success of Ticket to Ride, and there's been a lot of, of, of casual games made in addition to like really hardcore like pen and paper train mm. games. And there's still a market for it, but I feel like train games kind of have gone like underground a little bit. And if you look for it, you'll find a ton of train games but i have no problem with there being a ton of content for people who want it uh but that that whole 18xx game thing is so, there yes but I, yeah, I mean, I don't, 18xx is a whole genre yeah and th- those games are so insanely long it just blows my mind yeah yes. anyway I, I i do think that there are probably too many train games but I also am okay with how many there are. There are so many train games. When you're searching for a specific one, you can't find it because mm. you don't necessarily know is it rail, is it steam, is it train? Like there's there's like brass. There's like seven games. Yeah, brass. There's seven games just named like trains or train. Like that's it. Like like you like if you go search on board game geek, like good luck. You have to go to Google first and get like the exact right name first. And so, so that's trains, Jeff. I said zombies, which I know for a fact is like the uh, like America's choice for most overused game mm-hmm. mechanic or game theme. Um, there, although I think I feel like it's gone down in the past year. Or so. It has. Like there haven't been as many zombie mm-hmm. games this last year. Um, 
but yeah, there's a lot. There were a lot of zombie games for like 2010 to 2015, 16. There were so many zombie games yes. that were coming out. Did you know that they they're still making Resident Evil movies? What? Mia Jovovich is that her name? Yes. yes. She was just on uh, Fallon last night, <laughs> pushing making... the last Resident Evil movie. <laughs> like, Resident night. Evil Seven, the video game, is coming out this week. But if zombies are still hot, if uh, if trends continue, you can expect an upsurge in vampire games in the next few years because mm-hmm. there was a uh, there was a study done a film studies major looked at like movie trends and found that when the democratic party was in power zombie movies were more popular mm. and when the republican party was in power vampire movies were more popular way to date the <laughs> podcast jeff now in 9 years people are going to be like I what re- we haven't had a republican forever so I think I think <laughs> no the reason, comment. The reason zombie games were so popular, I think, harkens back to our conversation about violence, is because not only mm. not only is it a good setting in terms of like oh it's the end of the world, but it's a good way to like have violence without really having violence. Like right, well, and you get like the gratuitous. Like you're you're not carrying an AK forty seven. You're carrying like a baseball bat with some nails punched right. in it. Right. Like, yeah. Like a it's chainsaw. A game, it's a game where you can commit violence, but you don't have to feel bad about committing violence against humans. And zombies make a really convenient source of stress. Yes. F- like that doesn't have a lot of downside because of that lack of humanity. Right. Um, that leads to some good storytelling if done right. But, you know, there's that. And then there's also just like kill all the zombies, which right. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Underutilized so, games. So I think we could lean into the curve. We could design a game that just uses all those themes. Like we could be on a train <laughs> killing zombies that Cthulhu is sending after us. While farming? <laughs> yes. Well, we're all farmers. <laughs> well, yes, okay. so so we're Jeff all farmers. Yeah. Uh, and we're killing zombies. What are we killing them with? The spells we learned at Hogwarts. And we're yes. all wearing coconut bras. Yes. Yeah. Wait, where did the coconut <laughs> or iron come in? cast iron? Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Okay, yeah. Well, you have to farm to get your foodstuffs because the train doesn't ever stop. Oh, of course. Yeah. And we use the the corn to create ethanol to continue fueling <laughs> the train, and we just yeah. it's a cycle. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. See. So let's talk about underutilized themes here in the next couple minutes. What themes do you wish there were more games about? And then. As a corollary to that, corollary to that, you got it. I'm an English teacher. It was corollary. You were there. Um, What? Why do you think that there haven't been more games about this? Are there underused themes? Yes. Jeff, go. Um, (laughs) My most underused theme is, uh, and this is one that I think I would like, and there would be a very small segment of gamers who would like. So I think the reason it's underutilized is because they wouldn't sell well and people do games to have fun and not fight. I would love more political games. I would love uh, more games about the political process. Interesting. Yeah, because like they Hitler? all feel every what? political like game. Like Secret Hitler? No, I'm talking like Campaign Manager 2008. <laughs> yeah. They all feel super tied to whenever they were made. Like the, mm-hmm. They all feel sort of like... Like, like campaign manager 2008 yeah, like, is about the election like between Obama and McCain. Spice Girls Trivial Pursuit doesn't have any legs anymore because no, like nobody's right. really up on their Spice Girl trivia. I would, I would love like a, a campaign simulator because I think you could do it co-op where like you're the campaign team mm-hmm. for the candidate, 
and like you're one of you is the media person and one of you is the you know the ground person and all that and or you could do competitive obviously that lends mm-hmm. itself well i think the reason why there's not a lot of these is one a lot of people don't aren't as into politics as I am. But two, like when you pull down campaign manager 2008 and you're like, okay, do you want to be Obama or McCain? Like you're trying Mm. to like tiptoe around the fact that, oh, this might actually turn into a really uncomfortable experience if you and I disagree politically. Ha ha, have fun. Well, you should be able to be of a candidate's and those candidates should have different stats to start out with the game. Yes. Like when you make 2016 election, like you should be able to be Bernie Sanders or Clinton or... Right, which I think would be great. Like, Campaign Manager 2008, it's a two-player game. Now, what I'm saying is, though, is I want that game, but I don't want it to be tied to a year. So I want you to, like, craft your candidate based on general ideas and maybe some pointed principles, and then everybody builds their own candidate, and then there's a board state of, like, the political opinion. Well, you could have some really cool drafting mechanics there where you get a bunch – like, you draft a bunch of cards that Mm -hmm. say, like, I am – Pro-choice. Okay, if you're pro-choice, you get plus two with this group of people, minus two with this group of people. I am also going to be, uh, you know, anti reg- anti-business regulation. Okay, you're going to get plus mm-hmm. two with businessmen, minus two with, you know, college-age liberals, yeah. right? Like whatever. You could have some really fun stuff with that, and I think that's why there's been a lot of good computer games made about political stuff because mm-hmm. it's easier to keep track of the stats. Sure. But I think there's some untapped board game potential. There. Well, there's there is a presidential campaign manager games they're not all called campaign manager but for every election there's a game about mm-hmm. it and they're good usually they're fun so yeah, they're for me an underutilized uh theme would be um and i say underutilized because underutilized well i i've seen lots of games with the music theme but i have a hard time ever finding a good game that also is about music in almost any facet like when i uh, as a musician, I'm uh, anytime anybody sees an article about anything about music, I, I get it. Um, and so oftentimes they'll be like, check out this awesome music board game, and it will just be the worst. Like, it won't be a good board game, and it won't be informed about music either. <laughs> I don't know any music board games. <laughs> like, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it, okay. <laughs> the only ones I can think of are, like, American idol type of games. You've got your, like, name that song uh, name that composer, or like there's trivia a, type of there's games. There's a really bad American Idol card game out there floating around. Oh, uh, yeah, there's some bad stuff for sure. Um, so, and occasionally you'll see something that like has a bunch of inside jokes about maybe orchestra, but it's it won't be a good game. Right. So, like Battle of the Bands, where you go on tour and try to have the most successful tour? Or, any, like, literally, I don't, anything. Like, just somebody can you please use good mechanics to make a game about music. And there is Battle of the Bands. That game uh, is about music, and it's not bad. Is there a board game called Battle, Battle of the Bands? Bands yeah. I know there's a video game yeah, called Yeah, okay. um, Ma Pretz, whose first name I can't think of right now, that's like her favorite game at PretzCon, and she always uh, leads several plays of it. Um, and that was the first game I ever played at PretzCon, was with her playing her favorite game, Battle of the Bands. Yeah, so. But anyway, music. I think that's totally underserved uh, theme in board gaming. Scott, did you come up with anything? My answer is kind of a cop-out, but I think the most underutilized theme are good original themes. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where in a conversation we're talking about what's most overused, you, you can come up with what's most overused, and then some people are like, well, what would you have done or whatever? And it's like, I don't know what I want, but I want something new and original. I don't mm. want sequels. I don't want whatever. I want creative people to come up with something creative. Are there any good examples of new original themed games that can help us kind of figure out what you're thinking? 
like recent new good themes? I can think of one. And it's really, it's a paradox because I was designing this game with a friend and then it came out. Is it Happy Pigs? It was called Deck Builder the Deck Builder. It was a deck building (laughs) game about building decks on the back of your house. (laughs) And then one day Marcus Ross tweeted at uh, at Nick and I and Dice Hate Me Games released deck building the deck building game. And it was literally, they literally, they made the same game we were making. I mean, you know, it wasn't any of the same mechanics. Is it good? It's kind of a joke. Like, I feel like even they admit that it's like a kind of a ha-ha. Look at this. They they did two of them. I can't even remember what the second one was, but uh, they had a contest, like what type of game you could do like that. And so, I've you know, Ameritrash, the Ameritrash game is a heavily thematic game about uh, being... Uh, garbage men who are just like dumping garbage into Canada. Um, uh, worker placement, you work at a uh, temp agency. And that one exists. I actually found that one on Board Game Geek. Uh, but, you know, we were, you know, we just spitballing like what themes could make Tile games. placement, you're building kitchen floors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. So, anyway, deck building would fall into that category of uh, I haven't seen a lot of lawn mowing games. Well, someone when we were playing Suburbia, someone was like, "If you just imagine these as like mosaic tiles, like we're just building a kitchen backsplash." And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. Like, I think one of my favorite, I think I think I would like to see a game with the new and original theme of. Uh, and there's one game like this, and I would like to see more because this game I don't particularly love. Uh, Room Twenty Five. Have any, either of you played this? You were talking it's about it before, action right? movement programming game. Mm-hmm. I liked it the first time I played it, and then I played it again. I was like, yeah, it was a good one-time play. Mm. But basically, the theme is that you are in you are contestants on a reality show that has gone too far for ratings, and you have to like escape from the complex. It, and it was actually really, you know, like the theme mm. was really smart. And I would like to see. I think reality show gone too far is not only timely but an interesting right. idea because mm-hmm. you could do a lot of stuff with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty boring. I kind of agree with Jeff's campaign manager. Like, I like simulation games, and I would like to see, instead of a global war game, like, perhaps it's a hearts and mind game where you're trying to, you know, a political capital game or you're trying to use, you know, international relations, Mm. whether that's projecting power or... Winning the Hearts of Power, like that'd be a fun what about, simulation game, in my opinion. What about historical games that aren't about a war? Mm-hmm. Like Agricola? No, like about events <laughs> that are not war. Well, no. It's got example, to, there is flavor text at the beginning of Agricola so talking about I read about the flavor how, text for the first time. Yeah, talking and about it's how, a war? No, 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 no. it's just post-plague, and so people are back to being able to start up farms, oh, but it's still see, very tough. When I think and, of historical, I think of, like, for example... Uh, and this actually fits into my underutilized theme, like 1960 making of a president is about the JFK Nixon. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Election. Yeah. Agricola is about farming in post-war, I don't know, France, but it's not about like the Walton family who was farming in post-war France. You know, it's not something we know. The flavor text was surprisingly good for Agricola and it, and it referenced, you know, it was post-plague and specifically the, one of the reasons they were eating more meat because animal husbandry and eating meat is, is important in that game is because of their fear of the plague. The plague, yeah. So so I will say as a an aside on Agricola, I uh 
I will say that in the Latin, it is pronounced agricola, not agricola, but I don't have a problem with it. But I just want anybody it, who's listening to know. It's definitely not pro- pronounced agricola. But if you're fine with it being agricola, then you might as well be fine with it be calling agricola because they're both mispronounced. But I don't care, and I don't know how the designer pronounces the game. But Well, the designer's uh, German. Yeah, I know, but Latin <laughs> is still Latin. Like, no matter what your native tongue is, there is a pr- correct pronunciation of um, Latin, and it is Agricola. But I anyway, think all three are acceptable because I'm not an elitist. That's fine. I am. I think we should. I think an underutilized topic of games is how much <sighs> of a jerk Scott is. No, Grammar Nazi. That'd be an amazing game where you just have to figure out when people are saying things incorrectly. That'd be a great game. I know some people would really enjoy it. Jeff's so one like of them. Scrabble, My wife's another scrabble one. for grammar. I'm actually not a grammar Nazi. You, I think all the people. Peop- how about this? I'm a recovering grammar Nazi. There you go. I was going to say. I used to be, and I still catch myself saying things, and then I'm like, dang it, I'm not trying not to do if, that anymore. If I, I were, say people who are grammar Nazis that do it like passive aggressively, they always think they're not because they're doing it like in a joking way. I'm like, well. If, if I were a grammar Nazi, I would be the Barney Fife of grammar Nazis. <laughs> I just, my grammar is not good enough for me to be policing other people's grammar <laughs> i know some grammar nazis that i got so annoyed with that i would like bait them and like say something that they thought was incorrect and then like go back and then be like this mm. is actually why it's not incorrect well i feel like it's important at this phase of the podcast to really congratulate the people who've made it this far we this have might, might be our longest we've podcast. gone no, it's not. we've gone a long but not just in duration but in widely varied landscapes of topics oh, yes. like we really we, we are we did not go as close to the edge this time we didn't we did go close time. to the edge but we found f- new realms of discussion like yeah i i, I we just, dug some holes that we had to get out of. Yeah, yeah absolutely so um i would say as a call to action uh give us your super original themes tell us what theme you're sick and tired of and why it's trains in outer space um I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to combine some overused themes. We didn't talk about space, but that's pretty close to being overused. Uh, but definitely keep tweeting at us. We appreciate it. And yeah. tell your friends how much you enjoy our podcast and how much they would enjoy listening to it. Scott, you want to send us out? I kind of already did. At Scott underscore Odell. At Jeff Garce. I do respond to tweets. Nick and Eric now know this. Uh, aren't we supposed to let Jeff email? Let oh, Jeff hashtag email. let Jeff email. <laughs> no uh, one's ever going to use um, that. I'm um, at Cody Jorgensen. Uh, yeah. We're Scott and Cody at Spielbound.com. That is not an email that will get you there, though. It has to be independently Scott at Spielbound.com <laughs> yes, or Cody at Spielbound.com. Scott and Cody at Spielbound.com does not get to anybody's inbox. And eventually, hopefully, if you email Jeff at Spielbound.com, something will happen because we are currently trying to hashtag let Jeff email. Good night, Jeff's email. Thanks, Scott. Good night, Moon. Thanks, computers. Thanks, themes about board games. Are you a werewolf? <laughs>